I'd like to speak to you this morning from a verse that has captured my attention a number of times over the years. It's found in the book of Judges, chapter 16 and verse 20. It has to do with the life of Samson. We find at this particular time in Samson's life that he's married to a woman in the name of Delilah. And the Philistines have enticed her and have offered her a great reward if she will assist them in finding out where the strength of Samson has come from. She's successful in doing that. And we find that he falls asleep with his head in her lap after he has given her the answer. And she cuts his hair. And then she cries for the Philistines to come upon him. And Samson awoke and said, I'll go out as I have in times before. Well, in times before, when Samson went out, the Lord was with him. In fact, three different times you're going to find where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord was upon Samson mightily, and he did great exploits. But this time's going to be different. The Lord has departed from Samson. He said, I'll go out as I have in times past. But the Lord had departed from him. Now, Samson is what we call an enigma. A very mysterious person. Hard to figure out. So greatly blessed in his lifetime. Go back to the 14th chapter of Judges. In fact, his life is recorded for us in four chapters. Judges 14, 15, uh, 13, rather, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, 13 starts off by telling us that Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. That's the sixth time that you've read this when you started reading the book of Judges, beginning in chapter 6 and up to now, six different times you're going to find where it says Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. It's just repeated. And each time up to this time, the Israelites would cry to the Lord as they would pray to the Lord and cry out in great distress. And the Lord would raise up a deliverer. And he would deliver them out of the oppression and bondage that they were in. But for whatever reason, this time, Israel never cries out to the Lord. Not recorded. And they're going to be under the oppression of the Philistines for 40 years. Far more than they had in the other times. And so the Lord is going to raise up a man by the name of Samson who shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Notice I said, begin to deliver them, because he will not accomplish the task. He'll get it started, but it will take Israel under the leadership of Samuel and David years later to accomplish the feat. So we go back to Judges chapter 13. Find a man by the name of Manoah and his wife, and she's barren. And an angel of the Lord comes to her and reveals to her that she's going to conceive and have a son. And he's going to be a Nazarite. Now, the laws of a Nazarite are given to us in details in Numbers chapter 6. And it's basically three things. One, a Nazarite, which means to be consecrated or set apart and dedicated to the Lord. A Nazarite was not to drink any strong drink. A Nazarite was not to touch an unclean thing like the carcass of a dead human or animal. And he was not to have his hair cut. Usually... This was for a period of time, but in Samson's case, it was going to be from the time of his birth to the time of his death. So this is revealed unto Manoah's wife. She tells her husband, 
And then they have another visit from the angel and more information is given to us. But we notice God is going to begin to deliver his people in the beginning with a miracle. A barren woman's going to conceive. He did this with Sarah and Abraham. When he promised Abraham, through him and his seed, all the nations there shall be blessed. He's going to bless Abraham and Sarah to have a child by the name of Isaac. When Sarah's 90 and Abraham is 100, when by nature it was impossible for her to conceive. Find this in the case of the great man Samuel. His mother's name was Hannah. Hannah's womb had not been opened up. Hannah was barren, but the Lord hearkened unto her prayer and opened her womb, and she conceived and brought forth the great man Samuel. We find Elizabeth was barren, but the Lord blessed her to conceive, her and Zacharias, and she brought forth that great man John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is going to do great things through Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, he's doing great things through Samuel. He's doing great things with Samson here. He would do great things through John the Baptist. It all began with a woman who could not conceive that was barren. She could not have children unless God miraculously intervened, and God did just that. Also, we see uh, in several cases where God, first of all, brings a deliverer to our attention not when he's already a grown person, but when he's just a little baby. We take a look at Moses. We read about Moses. He's there in Exodus chapter 2. We find details about his birth and how the Lord providentially, miraculously delivered him from the clutches of Pharaoh. It'd be 80 years down the road before Moses would come back down to Egypt and deliver God's people out of there. We find, again, Samuel coming to our attention as a little baby. We find John the Baptist coming to our attention as just a little baby. And finally, the Son of God himself, right? The Lord Jesus Christ comes to us as a little baby out of the womb of a virgin woman by the name of Mary. God oftentimes did things in this way. It'd be 33 and a half years after the birth of Jesus before the work of redemption took place. 80 years after the birth of Moses that he'd bring Israel out of the land of Egypt. And we're going to find similar things here in the life of Samson. So Samson is blessed of God to be born of godly parents. Manoah and his wife were very godly, people of faith. They believed in God, believed what God said unto them. Samson had an advantage in every way. She's going to set him aside. And not only was Samson not to do the things I said before, but even his mother was not to drink strong drink, and she was not to eat anything that was unclean according to God's dietary laws. This would be for the health of this baby, Samson. Women today need to do the same thing. It's an established fact that babies are affected by what their mother uh, eats and drinks, and unfortunately many of them, uh, you know, sometimes on alcohol and, and drugs and one thing or another, and it affects their children. So we see this even back in that day, how she was commanded not to eat anything that was unclean, and she was not to drink strong drink. And so this chapter ends with this expression. It says, and the Lord blessed Samson. The Lord blessed him. Of the other judges, and we're dealing in the book of Judges. We're dealing in a time when Israel doesn't have a king, and they're being ruled by judges. So Samson is the last of the judges. He will judge Israel for 20 years during this 40-year time in which Israel is under the oppression of the Philistines. Of the other, prophet, uh, other judges, rather, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. 
it will say this concerning Samson. In fact, the last thing it said in chapter 13 is that the Spirit of the Lord began to move him. But he says, and the Lord blessed him. That's unique to Samson. He was truly blessed of God. He had godly parents once again who gave him godly instruction, who gave him godly guidance, who brought him up in a godly way. And the name uh, Samson means sunny, it means brightness. And he brought a lot of sunshine into their lives, no doubt. Being barren, not having any children, at least not on record, before, after. We find he brought sunshine in their lives, brought brightness in their life. Every little child does. And that's the way every child, uh, you know, should be to their parents. Unfortunately, we're fighting a serious battle in America today on abortion when that's not the case in the attitude of so many different people. Psalms 127 tells us that children are an heritage of the Lord. The word heritage means inheritance. Children are a heritage of the Lord, and blessed is the man who hath this quiver full of them. Children are a blessing. They should not be seen as a hindrance. They should not be seen as an inconvenience. They should not be seen as a problem. Children are precious, and children are a gift from God, and children, you know, are an inheritance to us. And so we find that Samson, his very name means brightness, it means sunshine. And then Samson becomes grown. But chapter 14, verse 1 starts off like this, and Samson went down to Timnah. That's about four miles across the border of where Israel is in the Philistine territory. When Israel began to occupy the land of Canaan under Joshua, the Lord told them everywhere the sole of their foot would go would be theirs. And it was God's will for them to conquer the entire land. The entire land of Canaan was to belong to the Israelites, but they never did conquer the Philistines who were sea people, and they had five major cities right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Philistines were always thorns in their side. The Philistines were always their constant enemy. They didn't have to be because Israel could have conquered them if they had, but they didn't do it. So Samson goes into enemy territory. You don't have to go far into enemy territory to be too far. As soon as you take one step into enemy territory, you've taken one step too far. And he's captured. And you might say, well, Brother Lawrence, I don't read where the Philistine army came and got him. No, you don't. He wasn't captured by the army. He was captured by a woman. He was captured by a woman's looks, her appearance, the attraction of this woman who was not an Israelite woman. This violated God's law. You find the book of Exodus, book of Deuteronomy, where God instructed Israel and went to the land of Canaan that they were not to intermarry with the people who inhabited that land. They were to cut down their images. They were to destroy their pictures. They were not to be influenced by these ungodly, idolatrous people who occupied the land. Samson disregards God's law right off the bat. He was captured by her. Now, I want you to remember a few verses this morning. I want you to remember 1 John 2, 16. That's in the New Testament, of course. And John tells us to love not the world, nor the things of the world. He says, all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We see here Samson violating that. The lust of the eyes has already got him. He's not walking by faith, he's walking by sight. He's being controlled by natural desires. He's not being controlled by the Word of God. Now, Romans 15, 4 teaches us things written aforetime was written for our learning. So we need to learn something from this. It was written for our learning. We, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. 
Human nature has not changed in all these years. Since the days of Samson, this very day, human nature has not changed. Evil has not changed. Weakness has not changed. Right has not changed and wrong has not changed. <laughs> it's still all the same. Samson takes a, a little trip into enemy territory, only four miles. That's four miles too many. And his eyes behold this woman. And he wants her. And he tells his father to go and get them for you. You know what his father says? He says, is there not a woman among the Israelites that would satisfy you? His father knows this is wrong. Samson not only violates God's law, but Samson disrespects his own father, his own parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told that children are to honor their parents. Honor thy father. Now, we usually emphasize the fact that fathers bring up their children to nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that's true. But it also says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. Samson doesn't do that. Now, Samson's a grown man. You might say, well, he doesn't have to obey his parents. Yes, he does. When my dad passed away in 88, I still did everything he said do. <laughs> when we were together, whatever he said do, I just did it. You know why? Primarily why? Because he's my father. That's why. And I wanted to honor my father. Now, sometimes I thought, well, this isn't the best, or I could do this differently. It'd be different, better if we did it this way. I didn't say anything. I just did what the Lord, what my father told me to do. It's that simple. And we find Samson's not doing that. Samson's violating God's word. He's disrespecting his parents. So then him and his father and mother take, they go back into there, but apparently they separate because you're going to find a lion. A young lion approaches Samson. And we're going to get an indication here early on of what great strength Samson had. He had strength, you know, Samson's known for his strength, but I'm going to show you this morning, he needs to also be known for his weakness. We've already seen a sign of his weakness. He disregarded God's word, disregarded his parents, went to enemy territory, uh, saw a woman that he was attracted by, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And now a young lion comes. But the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, first time it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he rent that lion. That young lion means tore him apart with his own hands. Kind of reminds me of David, of course, when he was a young shepherd boy, how he slew a bear and slew a lion. You know, grabbed him by the beard. But here the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and he slays that lion. Samson goes and begins to make plans for the wedding. And on the way back, you're going to find where Samson comes right back to where that lion is at. And in the carcass of that lion, bees have settled in and there's honey. And Samson reaches in and gets part of that honey out of the carcass of the lion. What's one of the laws of the bit of Nazarite? You touch not the unclean thing. You see, Samson has been given a great gift of God that he could be used as a great weapon, but Samson seemed to want to use it as a toy. Samson was very irresponsible, undependable, unpredictable. Never knew what Samson was going to do. He was controlled by many other things other than the Word of God. So we believe that the Word of God should govern our lives. The Word of God should uh, teach us what we should think. The Word of God should teach us how we should behave. The Word of God should teach us how we ought to act here in this world. The Word of God teaches us the stand that we're to take. The Word of God teaches us the decisions that we're to make. The Word of God does that. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God should govern your life and my life to direct our feet. We've already given you the text this morning in Psalms 32, 8. 
I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, you never read where Samson's asked for guidance. In fact, there's going to be two prayers Samson would pray. We'll take a look at them, Lord willing, as we move along. But it was not for guidance. You know what the next verse says there in Psalms 32, 8 and 9? The next verse says, Be not like the horse or the mule who have no understanding, who have to have bits in their mouths and directed and guided. Now, a horse is much faster than the mule, and therefore the mule is much slower than the horse. And a horse has a tendency by its nature to run and race ahead. And the mule has in its nature to lag behind. The Lord's people seem like they're always trying to run ahead or they're always falling behind. Now, if we're being guided by the eye of God, we'll never be ahead, we'll never be behind. We'll always be right where we belong, you see. When God guided Israel, when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, he gave them a pillar of a cloud in the daytime, a pillar of fire at night. And instructed them, whenever that pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire moves, you're to move. But when it stops, you're to stop. It didn't make any difference what kind of weather you were having, how beautiful it might be. If that pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire wasn't moving, you want to move. And so therefore, they always moved at the pace that God would have on the move, you see. I want to move at God's pace individually. I want my family to move at God's pace. I want our church to move at God's pace. Whatever that is. We don't need to be like the mule and the horse that hath no understanding. The Lord has blessed us with understanding. So we look to him to guide us with his eye. We find Samson takes the honey right out of the carcass of the lion. Now, Samson didn't have anybody with him, so the Philistines provide 30 companions to be with him. This is all leading up to the consummation of the marriage. You're going to find where it actually says this woman is the wife of Samson. Uh, from the standpoint of them, uh, you might say, uh, being spoken for, yes. But as far as the consummation, no, and that's very important. So 30 companions come, and Samson is going to give them a riddle. And the riddle's going to have to do with that line. It's going to have to do with his sinful practice of all things. He gives them a riddle. If they can answer the riddle, he will give them 30 changes of shirts and garments. But if they cannot answer, they've got seven days to do it. If they cannot answer the riddle and solve the riddle, they're going to have to each one of them give him 30 changes of shirts and garments. That's going to be an expensive deal. This is not a cheap bargain they've entered into. They come to day number seven, and they hadn't got it figured out. So you know what they do? They go to his wife. Remember, it hadn't been consummated yet. And they entice her, and they tell her, you're going to have to help us figure out this riddle, or we're going to kill you and burn up your father's house. Godly family. So she entices him, and she begins to weep on day number seven. And finally, Samson gives in to it. And he tells her the answer to the riddle. And she tells her people. She enticed him, and then she betrayed him. Now, he was never to be married to her in the beginning. If we go here to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says that you're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Samson represents the believer. She represents the unbeliever. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What harmony hath light with darkness? 
What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? See, Samson represents all these things over here. She represents all these things over here. He was never to be connected to her to begin with. She was not an Israelite woman. So she betrays him. So Samson lost the riddle. Now, here's what Samson said. He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, <laughs> you wouldn't have got the answer. Technically, you violated the rules. You cheated. But Samson's going to honor the agreement. The Bible says Samson got very angry. He was a man who couldn't control his emotions. He was a man who couldn't control his, his words, his mouth. He didn't have any business giving that riddle to begin with. He had if he hadn't went in that land over there, he wouldn't be connected to the woman. He wouldn't have, a lion wouldn't have come up. He wouldn't have slew the lion. He wouldn't have got honey out of the carcass of the lion. And he wouldn't have wound up losing the riddle. Wouldn't have been no riddle to begin with. So Samson went and left. He's so angry, he, he just left at the time. But the next chapter opens up. And we find where Samson comes back. And he's got a gift with him which was the appropriate thing to do. But you know what happened the time that he left and the time he came back? Her father gave him to somebody else, gave her to somebody else. He lost his gift, he lost his bride. <laughs> now, if Samson had actually married her, if the marriage had been consummated, that would have really been a, a serious violation of God's law. And I believe God just overruled in this situation and didn't allow it to happen. Samson was angry about all this. So Samson went and got 300 foxes. Now the problem wasn't with the Philistine people. The, father, the problem was with this woman's father. There's where the problem was. He gave his bride away. He went and got 300 foxes, tied them in pairs in their tails and put a firebrand in their tails and lit it on fire and sent it out into the cornfields. <laughs> oh, what a sight that must have been. And burned up all the cornfields of the Philistines. Of course, that didn't sit well with the Philistines, did it? Now, you're going to find that Samson is so gifted, so blessed of God, but he's very loose with that gift. He's irresponsible. Again, he's an enigma. You just can't figure him out. He's a mysterious person. You ever, you ever met somebody like that? You ever been around somebody like you just can't understand why they do the things they do? You just don't understand. You know they know better. They've been taught better. They've been instructed better. But they just do those things that they shouldn't be doing anyway. And they're good people, you feel like. Let me tell you something. Samson is found in Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is that great chapter of the heroes of faith. You wouldn't think he'd been there. He's there. God puts him over there. Now, he doesn't give the details of Samson, but you know, after he goes through the details of all the people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all of them, and Rahab the harlot, he said, now if I had time, I'd talk to you about David and I'd talk to you about Samson. So that tells me a little bit about Samson. I might not pick up on him, but just done his life back over here. And the Israelites, they, I mean, the Philistines, boy, they, they didn't like what happened there. And they sought retaliation against the Israelites. The Israelites didn't have an army. The Israelites didn't have any real way to defend themselves. Samson's not helping the situation. He's making it worse. But you know what Samson did? Samson went out 
and he slew the Philistines, he says, uh, you know, uh, with, by, with hip <laughs> and everything, he went out there. We're not told how many Philistines he slew on this occasion here, but it was a great slaughter. The Philistines, they come down to the Israelites, and they're upset, they're angry, and they get the Israelites to agree to bind Samson. And then they're going to come and take him. They don't want to kill him at this point. They just want to come and take him and bring him into captivity. And you know what the sad state of affairs is? The Israelites agree to it. Here's one of their own. Here's, here's their judge. Here's a man they've seen do great exploits. They've seen those 300 foxes burn up the fields. They've seen him slaughter the Philistines uh, left and right. And they agree to it. But Samson gets them to agree to one thing. He says, if I allow you to bind me, he says, you have to promise you'll not lay a hand on me yourself. And they say, we'll, we'll agree. So that's what they do. And you find the Philistines come to take Samson, and the Bible says that Samson just broke what they'd bound him with just like it wasn't nothing. <laughs> just like it wasn't anything. And he slew those Philistines that come to get him. He took the jawbone of an ass and slew the multitudes of the Philistines. It was a new jawbone of an ass. Can you imagine that? Picture that. See what he's doing here. But you know, after that took place, after that great battle, you're going to find that the Bible says that Samson was sore athirst. No matter how mighty he was, no matter how strong he was, no matter what he had done, the Lord lets him realize that he's nothing apart from God. The strongest man in the world, his strength will do him no good if there's no water to drink. The strongest man in the world gets thirsty just like the weakest man. But if there's no water to drink, his strength doesn't benefit him whatsoever. A man may have, he may be a multimillionaire, but when he gets thirsty and there's no thirst to drink and there's no water to drink, all this money doesn't help him one bit, does it? Not one bit. The things this world can't do for you, what God can do for you. The wealthiest man in the world can't bring rain down from the sky. And here's Samson. No comparison of any other man in history when it comes to natural physical strength. No comparison of him with any other man in history concerning his strength. But right now, he's so athirst. And we find his first prayer to God. His first prayer. And in this prayer, he talks to the Lord about being so thirsty. And the Lord answers that prayer. And the Lord cleaves a hollow uh, out of, uh, some people think it's the jawbone itself or just in the valley where he was at. But nevertheless, wherever it was, when the Lord did this, he brought water and took care and satisfied the thirst of Samson. How merciful God is. How great God is. How good God is. How how powerful God is to be able to do something like this. But see, Samson, even though he had this extraordinary strength, he was a Nazarite set aside for the purpose of God, he was only able to do it as the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Twice we've read this, where the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. God overruling his foolishness. God overruling his irresponsible behavior. Just like Samson always wanted to 
you'd always dance around the border of danger. We had this little dog one time when he had him trained where he was supposed to stay in his bed. And, uh, and he is a little Boston Terrier. And he wanted to get out of bed. And I said, nope, don't you get out of bed. You know what he would do? He would stretch out his entire body and leave his one foot back in the bed. <laughs> That's how smart he was. <laughs> you, know, you know, I got one foot in the bed. <laughs> And then they ask how God's children are sometimes. They want to stretch the limits. They want to get right up to the boundary line. And if nobody's looking, they want to cross over into it. That's the way Samson was. We see the next chapter opens up telling us that Samson went down again. Every time Samson left, where he was supposed to be, he went to enemy territory. The Bible says he went down. And you've heard me speak on this, make mention of this a number of times before. I'm going to mention it again. In the Bible, geographically uh, and metaphorically, when God's people go down, they, it means they're leaving God. That's why you read in Isaiah 30 and verse 2 and Isaiah 31 and verse 1 where it says, Woe to them that go down into Egypt. Woe to them who go down in Egypt, rebellious people who look to Egypt for help. Woe to them that do that. Egypt's a picture of darkness. Egypt is a picture of this world in which we live here. We don't need any help from Egypt. We don't need any assistance from Egypt, you see. We've got everything we need in God's country, in God's Canaan land. In the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, there's a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. As I mentioned to you before, Jericho is on the north side of Jerusalem. It's not on the south side, it's on the north side. Generally speaking, you would say he'd be going up to Jericho, but not so. He didn't go up to Jericho because Jericho was away from Jerusalem. When he went to Jericho, he was going away from God's place, God's city, and God's house, and God's temple, and God's place of worship. And this is what, this is what Samson does. So he goes down, away from God. Abraham went down into Egypt after being blessed of God to come out of the land of the earth of the Chaldees. You go to Genesis chapter 12. He's, in, he's where God wanted him to be, where God directed him to be, and a famine comes into the land, and the Bible says Abraham went down into Egypt. Just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean there's not going to be some trials and tribulations come along the way. But trials and tribulations oftentimes causes us to lose our focus, causes us to take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. We must maintain our vision on him, whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in the valley, you see. And by the way, prosperity oftentimes is followed by testing to give us a balance in life. You think if you were blessed every day to be on the mountaintop that you'd pray to God like you do when you get down the valley. If you were on top of the mountaintop every single day, and I wouldn't mind being on it for a few days at a time, but anyway, if I was on top of the mountain every single uh, day, I got a feeling I'd just get a little bit negligent in praying to the Lord. How about you? Think you would? When the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, the heavens opened up, the voice of God rang out, saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended upon him in the body form and shape of a dove, symbolizing peace and blessings. And then chapter 4 opens up and says, And the Spirit of, the, uh, the Spirit of God led Jesus in, into the wilderness 
where he fasted for 40 days and then he was tempted to the devil on top of the mountain of temptation. That happened immediately. Immediately after his baptism. When the Lord blesses a person, when the Lord blesses you, and the Lord blesses me, I need to be real cautious and careful because the devil's just wanting to take the rug and just pull it right out from under my feet. He wants to tempt me. He wants to puff me up, perhaps, with pride. He wants to distract me and take my attention away from the blessing giver, which is God himself. I have to be really cautious and careful about that. Our church has to be cautious and careful about that. So he goes down. And there he goes into the house of a harlot, of all things. That's all they said about it. But once again, it's another illustration of him going down. Another illustration of 1 John 2, 16. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. But the things of the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You know when he went back and got the honey out of the carcass? That's where he violated the pride of life. Don't you reckon he just walked up there and said, oh boy, look what I did in the past. And on top of that, now there's honey in there. I'll just give me some honey out of that. Uh, I believe that was him, you know, violating the pride of life aspect of that verse. But then he left and went down again. And he meets this woman in the name of Delilah. But before I get in that, let me back up a second. About to forget something. You're going to find when he went down where I told you to begin with, that the inhabitants there told the authorities that he was in the city of Gaza. And they said, okay, we're going to lay, we're going to get at the gate, and we're going to wait till the morning time, and in the morning time, we're going to capture him, and we're going to kill him. At midnight, you know what Samson did at midnight? <laughs> and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. At midnight, you're going to find where Samson takes hold of the pillars, and the post and the bars of the gates, and he just takes him, gets them out, puts them on his shoulders, and leaves that place with him, taking the gates of the city along with him. Now, there's something significant about that. The gates of the city were for two reasons. One, for protection. They let people in and kept people out. Number two, it was a place where the city business took place. Business took place right there at the city gates. In the scriptures, you talk, when you read about the city gates, it's, it's metaphorically, it's a picture of victory or defeat. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22, and you'll find here where Abraham has offered his son, his only son Isaac, upon the Mount Moriah. After he successfully does what God tells him, and God provides a substitute in the place of Isaac, you're going to find where the angel of the Lord comes unto Abraham and says, Blessing, I will bless thee, and I will multiply thee and thy seed, and thy seed shall possess the gates of thine enemies. The multitude of thy seed do what? Shall possess the gates of thine enemy. We read it further on in Rebekah when Abraham's servant goes to get a bride for Isaac. He brings Rebekah back, and they meet Rebekah. They tell Rebekah this, says, Thou art a mother of thousands of thousands, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemies. We come to the 16th chapter of Matthew. The Lord Jesus Christ makes this statement. 
In Matthew 16, 18, the Lord says, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did the Lord use that expression, the gates of hell? When the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary and laid down his life, when he was put into a barred tomb and he was resurrected three days later, based on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ stormed the gates of hell, my friends, and the gates with him. Just like Samson did. That expression, the gates of the city, is used in a metaphorical way as well as a literal way. The Lord led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The lawful prey had been delivered according to the prophet Isaiah. Now, he goes on down further and meets a woman named Delilah. A lot of not known about Delilah. Really don't even know for sure if she was a Philistine, but for sure she wasn't an Israelite. And so he falls in love with Delilah. See, Samson was a mighty strong man with men, but he was weak as water with women. So he falls in love with Delilah. And the Philistines come to Delilah and they offer her a great deal of money. I don't know how many now Philistines it was, but they all offered to pay her a great sum of money for her to find out where the strength of Samson lay. So she accepts the challenge. She wants the money. So she asks Samson the question, where are your great strength lieth? Samson doesn't tell her the truth. He first tells her that they were to bind me with the uh, bands of writh, green, green uh, uh, limbs, and things like that. He says, then I wouldn't be able to do anything. So that's what they do. And the Philistines came upon him, he just burst them asunder. So she come to him the second time. And he gives a very similar answer. And he's bound again. This time when they come, he just breaks them asunder and they flee. She asks him the third time. He said, if you weave the locks of my hair seven times, he says, then my strength will be gone. So she does it. The Philistines come, same results. She comes to him the fourth time. And this time, she's wearied Samson down. And he tells her that he's a Nazarite, and if his hair is cut, his strength will leave him. The strength never was in Samson's hair. You understand that, right? It symbolized where his strength came from. We find where Samson's already violated the law of the Nazarite by taking honey out of the carcass of that line. And we find another place where he went into enemy territory by the vineyards. And a man who's not supposed to drink strong drink being next to the vineyards is not a good thing. Now whether he drank of the strong drink down there or not, I don't know. He may have already violated his laws twice. But now here's number three. He falls asleep in her lap. She cuts his hair. She calls the enemy. And we come to our text. And Samson awoke and said, I'll go out like I have in times past. In the past when he went out, God was with him. In the past when he went out, the Spirit of God came upon him. In the past when he went out, the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. And he was able to do tremendous feats and exploits. But not this time. I'll go out as I have in times past, not knowing that the Lord had departed from him. 
What, how serious is that? You know, I, I try to ask the Lord to go with me and be with me every day. And when I go to the house of God and try to preach, before I do, I say, Lord, be with me. I try to ask the Lord to, to bless me and to be with me. And I did this morning on the way here. I asked the Lord to be with us. And I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, give me the liberty that I need to be able to speak and be able to preach the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, and bless those in the congregation this day to have minds to open, be open to, to hear and understand and hearts to, to absorb the message. I, I pray for you and I pray for me. I pray for the Lord's presence to be with us. But every man... If he preaches long enough, we'll have an experience every now and then when he realizes that he can't preach unless the Lord is with him. And the Lord just lets him know that. The Lord just pulls back, sometimes maybe not all together, but just enough to get that preacher's attention. I don't know how many sermons I've been blessed to preach over the years. I've told you before, Karen's heard me preach about 4,000 times, and she still comes to church. You think about it. You might say, you know preacher so-and-so, and you say, yeah, I know him. I've heard him preach a dozen times in my life. You think you've heard him a lot. I've heard him preach probably 50 times in my lifetime. You think you've heard him a lot. Well, my wife's heard me preach over 4,000. And she still comes to church with me. <laughs> you can see what a prize I got, don't you? <laughs> what a blessing she's been to me along life's journey. I tell you that now. His strength is gone. He didn't do all those things on his own. There's nothing in, in these chapters that tell us that Samson was a real big man. I don't know what his physique was. I don't know what his statue was. I don't know what his height was and, and everything else. I'm going to just take the opinion he was probably like ordinary man by, by appearance. But when the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, he was able to do things no other man could ever do. But now we find the Spirit of God has left him departed from him. They capture him. The first thing they do is take his eyes out. They blind him. Then they bound him. And then he took him down there uh, in the Philistine territory where he began to grind. Notice what the, he, uh, they, they, he was blinded, he was bound, and now he's grinding. Blinding, grinding, and bounding. All that happened to him. He lost his eyesight. He lost his freedom. He lost his liberty. He lost his testimony. He lost his witness. He lost it all. And then there's a little verse here. It says, and then his hair began to grow back. They bring him where on a day they're celebrating the great victory they have over Samson. And they have him changed, of course, and he's having to make sport. And then this great house, and there's 3,000, about 3,000 men and women in this great house. And Samson is making sport. He's having to be led around by a little lad. And then Samson prays prayer number two. He says, Lord, be with me this one more time. And give me the strength to avenge me of my eyesight of these Philistines. Somehow or another, I don't know this, but somehow or another when Samson was bound and he was grinding and he was making sport, I, I honestly think he was doing some praying that's just not recorded. I believe he was doing some talking to the Lord that's not recorded here. I'm bound to believe that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. Lord, I, I have fought, failed you. Lord, I've fallen way short. 
have not done like I should have done. Forgive me for all of this. I just got to believe Samson prayed somewhere like that. If he did, it's not recorded. But his second prayer is, and he asked the Lord. Judges 16, verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may at once avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, one on the right hand and one on the left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. The Bible brings to my attention three different men who fell into darkness. One was Saul of Kish, the first king of Israel. He fell in darkness in the last days when the Lord departed from him. He went down to the witch of Andor to ask counsel of a witch, which was a violation of God's law. After that experience, and I believe she did bring Samuel up, and Samuel told him the truth. He was so, he was so down and out, he didn't even want to eat anything. He lost his appetite. And then we find in chapter 30 where he went out to battle against the Philistines. And we find him falling on his own sword, committing suicide. There's another man by the name of Judas. He came and brought the enemy to where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he came there at nighttime in darkness. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ with a kiss. And the soldiers would take Christ. You know what would happen to Judas? He would hang himself. And now we got Samson. He's in darkness standpoint that he has no eyesight. His eyesight's been taken away from him. He's in darkness. And we find that Samson takes his own life. These three men all wound up in darkness. All three of these men took their own life. Saul of Kish, Judas Iscariot, and Samson. Samson went down with the Philistines. He, does, he, he provided a great feat in destroying those Philistines on that occasion right there. And God answered his prayer, and God gave him his strength back. God gave him the power. Can you imagine? He took the, you know, he told the lad, he said, put my left hand on this pillow and my right hand on this pillow here. And when God answered his prayer and gave him the power and gave him the strength, we find where he pushed those pillows away and the house came crumbling down and about 3,000 men and women were all destroyed and died there. And Samson died with them. It's a sad scene. His own family had to come and find him in the rubble and get him out and to bury him. But he, as the Lord set him aside, began to deliver Israel out of the oppression of the Philistines. It would be completed through Samuel and David years ahead. He judged Israel for 20 years. As much as we've seen where he fell short, don't ever forget, the Lord did put him over here in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. 